Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe, in Montreal. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we are sharing the 149th edition of the program. On the broadcast today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation that I had with Phyllis Ellis, who's a filmmaker. Phyllis worked on a documentary called Category Woman. This is a film focused on four athletes from the Global South who are forced out of competition by regulations that are discriminatory in regards to gender. The film is described this way. The public scrutiny and policing of their bodies raises issues of racism, sexism, and denial of their fundamental human rights, who they are. Category Woman exposes and also lifts up different realities in regards to gender discrimination in sports. First, it exposes institutional racism as discussed, but also shows the ways that athletes are pushing back in relation to and in conversation with broader social movements for emancipation. I think this film is a very important project that shows the intersections of social movements and how they translate and relate to realities within sports. Thank you so much to Phyllis Ellis for the conversation. Here is our exchange. By way of introduction, Category Woman obviously was a work that took many years uh, and also a lot of relationship building on your part as a filmmaker. For people who aren't familiar with the film, and maybe don't have a sense of um, maybe some of the issues that you're trying to address through the film and through the stories that you tell. Could you maybe give a picture as to um, a basic outline to the film, but also the motivation on your part as to why working on this project, which obviously took a lot of time and a lot of relationship building was important to you as a filmmaker? Well, uh, you know, I guess I could start with the second question because we go back to nine, in 1980, 1981, or maybe a little bit earlier when I was an Olympian. In every sport, winter and summer, and most, most world championships, university games, all women in all sports were sex tested or gender tested or femininity tested. And we used to get these cards. So you'd go in and there were just, there were different kinds of sex testing that had been gone on for about 80 years. Um, you know, there were nude parades where athletes had to walk naked in front of, you know, gynecologists. And if they would check the size of their breast and they would, if they, you know, had a question, they might give them an internal sitting on a wooden chair. Um, girls would fail. They'd come out and they'd say, well, they said my breasts were too small or, you know, there were various reasons. Anyway, that stopped after a couple of years because um, the athletes, I think two or three world championships, the athletes um, were, you know, said that's not going to work. And then they moved on to chromosome testing. So a gajillion years ago in the, you know, late 60s, they discovered or they thought they discovered that you could identify gender by chromosomes and, you know, XX woman, XX man. And, you know, the sport operates on the binary and we weren't even, you know, we weren't even at that point back then. So they went, they went into that and then they checked chromosomes and then they scientifically found out that, oops, that's a mistake. 
Um, there are not just two sets. So the sex testing progressed over um, a number of years. And then in 2000, I think, um, at the Sydney Olympics uh, was the last official sex test on the record for everyone. I think the you know, each um, sport operates in a kind of a strange way. It's sort of like the Vat, you know, the the Vatican. So there's the there's the the Pope, and then all these are these archdiocese, and they all operate autonomously until there's a problem. So world field hockey, world athletics, world swimming, world whatever they all have different acronyms, but they operate within their own silo, and they can make unilateral decisions, autonomous decisions, as long as something bad happens. Um, as long as the pre, you know, there isn't a priest problem, and then the Pope's got to come in and go, okay, I got to deal with this. So it it went along, and then in two thousand and nine, um, uh, a really phenomenal champion by the name of Castor Semenya won a spectacular um, eight hundred meter race at the World Championships in Berlin. Um, and, um, that was the same year Usain Bolt won a spectacular, uh, championship, uh, in Berlin and many other athletes won spectacular championships. And then her fellow athletes called her out and, um, her personal medical records were leaked to the international paper. She was 18 years old. And, um, but I want to state prior to that, there had been other athletes that had been um, identified and singled out and their careers had been obliterated. It just, this was a particularly high profile moment in sport because she was such a spectacular, uh, spectacular athlete. And, you know, people don't usually point out things if you come third, but when you win a gold medal, all eyes are on you, you know? Um, And rather than being celebrated, um, she was um, vilified. Um, And, um, it's really interesting because at the beginning of the film, uh, Zaini Mungabe, who's a, 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 a sociologist and specializes in, in race and gender, um, family is from South Africa. She says some bodies are marked. You know, m- men aren't marked and women are marked in all the ways they are different. But black and brown bodies are marked in a particular kind of way. They're marked as insufficiently human. How do you do that? You, you put someone's gender in, you know, into doubt. And we, we can't do that. So the film is about women's rights, athletes' rights, and a violation of human rights um, in sport. And really, we, we sort of present to the audience this sort of historical um, relevance of this story wrapped around the 80 years of sex testing um, focusing on five athletes from the Global South who at various moments in their careers were uh, the victims and survivors of racism, uh, sexism, misogyny, um, and fear-mongering really based on, you know, white supremacy in some ways. And uh, so I came at it from watching some of my very good friends uh, be obliterated from sport many years ago. And we all, everybody went quietly then. Um, and, and now um, that's where the story sits. But it doesn't just sit in this. It's, it sits in all kinds of, it, it's many sports. 
um, women's soccer, women's football is a pretty high profile sport that it, this is happening to lots of athletes all over the world. So it's a particularly interesting time too for category women to be um, in the in the in the theaters or in at festivals or maybe on te- you know on television in a couple of months because you know as we sort of loop around the conversations around identity and around uh, you know gender one of the really great big minds that I spoke to he's he's not in the film you know he said you know you you, you don't mess with somebody's identity you don't ma- you know you don't somebody says that that's who they are that's who they are. And um, to make it clear as well, not to conflate this with the trans issue, because the trans issue and the trans women and trans men issue in sport is 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 a vitally important conversation. Um, and this is a different vitally important conversation. So all of the women um, in this film were born um, and assigned a female at birth and lived as women and identify as women. The amount of international um, power that you look at in this film like, is very, very significant. Um, international sporting has such a massive impact on sense of identity and culture in, in, across the world, really. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about um, in approaching the creation of this film category woman when you were moving forward in this process i think you mentioned also having been an athlete yourself and um participated in international sporting events and people that you know personally um sort of fading out after experiencing this systemic violence there was no fade out okay it's like Put a cast on her foot, send her home. She never competes again. Yeah, so in that context, um, can you talk a bit about your decision to try to take on this issue through film? Like, how how was this a medium for you to try to, like, take on such a huge international issue? Um, because often, you know, people will think, how, how could this possibly be addressed? There's so many avenues there's so much power involved, there's so much money involved. Uh, so you're up against huge forces, obviously. Um, so I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about that process as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, the, the I knew the story and um, Dr. Bruce Kidd, who's a great friend of mine, introduced me to Peyoshni Mitra and uh, Katrina Katrina Kazarkas and uh, and then you know it took a while you know you have to build trust um, and sometimes uh, you know I had always thought uh, you know I didn't uh, retire from sport I quit I want to make that really clear uh, for different reasons but equally as traumatic for me um, and I always thought that I would come back to sport in in some way. I didn't really know, you know, when I would or how I would or and um sometimes uh it sounds so and I'm not trying to sound all Deepak Chopra or anything, but sometimes stories find you and sometimes you have a, a thought and you sort of push into it 
And then the story starts talking back to you. And then you actually can get out of the way as a filmmaker. And then the, 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 the narrative kind of both visually and, and, uh, and, and the, the sort of the, the, the words and the story all kind of um, start coming together. But it, it, it's a hard narrative because each woman's experience is um, ubiquitous, but yet uniquely their own. Um, and the outcomes are ubiquitous, yet uniquely their own. Um, and, um, you know, how do you, how does one as a, a human coming from the poorest province or the poorest uh, tribal village um, who, you know, it, and, and this is the other thing too, it's, you know, it's point of view. I mean, I am an athlete, so on, an Olympian, so on that level I can relate, but I, you know, my lived experience is very, very different from the women in the film. And um, so, you know, at, at what point do I jump off that and and do the very best that we can to just let the story live? And also knowing what I'm up against, knowing what we as a, as a you know, a filmmaking collaborative team and, and uh, in, in telling this story. Now, it's really interesting because I do find, and it happened with the last film I did, that... You're either ahead of the story, you're on the story, or you're behind the story. You never want to be behind the story, right, as a journalist. You know, you always want to be either ahead. But if you're too far ahead, it, it just creates schmozzle, and you end up, like, you just end up in trouble, and you're, you just defend, 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 and then people get mad at you, and they want, you know, and now with Instagram, they'd probably tell me to, you know. Um, but... You want to be kind of a little tiny bit ahead, but when so over four years we were way ahead of uh, like way ahead of when this film should have been uh, released, and then we were like this far ahead, and now we're kind of right at the the the, the zeitgeisty time, even though um, the stories have continued since we stopped shooting because we had COVID in the middle of it all, right? Um, which was kind of, it was really difficult, but it was also, you know, really illuminating. And I learned, a, I learned a lot during that process as well. But yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you take on, like I laugh all the time because my joke is, oh, I don't know, why don't I just take on Big Pharma, Hollywood, the Vatican and the Mafia or the IOC, you know, whatever. And now I've, you know, the last film we did was, you know, we took on Big Pharma and now... Here we are in big um, sport. Um, you know, the one thing I want to say too is um, the IOC uh, uh, did a ton of um, uh, research while I was shooting. In fact, I was in uh, Lausanne when they were actually having a... Um, uh, they brought a whole bunch of athletes in and they had all these athletes meetings and they spoke to women and spoke and spoke and spoke and heard their stories really sometimes for the first time. And they sort of created this thing called the framework. And the IOC at the end of last year came forward and said, okay, okay, this is, this is wrong. We were wrong. We're not going to test for T anymore. Cause that's another misnomer. That's ridiculous. Um, 
that uh, women, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. However, remember I told you about the, the, the silos. All of the archdiocese, all of these sports can decide how they're going to manage their own sport. We're not going to do it at the, we're not going to test at the Olympics. But what happens is, um, so say World Athletics, which they did, they doubled down and said, too bad you lose. We're still going to test and we're still going to, we're still going to measure. Um, So, you know, I think that it's also a time when, you know, there's so much has happened in the world over the last couple of years, as we know, right? And if you're not listening, you know, you, you know, ubiquitous, you, we, you know, all of us, if we're not listening and we're not looking at, you know, for myself, um, you know, I mean, it takes a, you know, a huge collaboration of allies as well as, uh, you know, um, people that are directly affected. And if you're not an ally in this world, in this moment in time with human rights being at the forefront, you cannot operate on women's bodies without them knowing what's happening. It is a violation of their human rights. And I don't care if you're World Athletics or you're, you know, the baker down the street. You can't do it. It's a, it is a, a, a massive, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's just, it's a, it's a, crime it's actually it's a crime and who knows what's going to happen in the next you know year after this film and the only thing i want to say last thing i want to say about that is i am not we or we as a you know a filmmaking collaborative group of you know creative people that put this film together um what what documentary, especially sort of in the social political world or where you're pushing in on things, the unique um, experience is that all of these smarty pants people and extraordinary humans are live all over the world. And what a film does is it can bring all of them together in one place. And if you're cohesive, then what, what audiences get is the, the whole story, not one article or... Um, you know, something's on television for a minute or they hear somebody speak at a law. They're all in one place at a time. So there's power um, and and um, credibility to, you cannot, um, like they might be able to hit, you know, run me over in a car if I walk off the curb downtown, if they get pissed off at me. But <clears throat> there's a collective voice here that they can't do anything about. And it's all true. In in the film, you really get a sense of the collective momentum, both of the critique of international sporting uh, institutions um, across the board. And thank you for breaking down also the sort of organizational context for international sporting. It's really appreciated. But you get a sense of both the individual stories, but how they have come together in mobilizing and bringing forward uh, opposition to this systemic racism in international sporting, but also gender oppression. Um, So for people um, maybe who haven't had a chance to see the film, could you share just a bit about um, some of the people that you featured in the film and why that was important in in trying to address these systemic issues that that you look at? Mm -hmm. 
Was Zany Bengabi because, you know, it took me a really long time to get her to um, uh, speak to us, speak to me. Um, but it's context, you know, somebody that's outside the sport world that, um, you know, can look at this from 50,000 feet or however sort of cliche thing you want to say. And with perspective, Peoshni Mitra, who's um, one of the most, uh, you know, beloved and lauded athletes, activists in the space, who's now, um, you know, um, running a huge organization in Lausanne. Uh, and, you know, gave up her life basically and, you know, wasn't getting paid to go and assist all of these athletes uh, to take their cases to CAS, which is the Court of Arbitration of Sport. It's not a court. So uh, many years ago, which I didn't have to go to when I when I needed, they didn't have it when I was an athlete, um, they're, they call it the Court of Arbitration of Sport. It is in Lausanne, and it is sort of the arbitrator. So if you have a, a, um, a case or a problem with your sport or your coach or something that's happened, you can um, take your case to the Court of Arbitration of Sport, and they have three arbitrators, and they hear hear your case, and then they make a decision. So, so Peyoshini helped two of the athletes get there. Um, and then the athletes... Um, Castor Story, Margaret Niasabe, Margaret Wambui, um, who's an extraordinary Kenyan uh, champion, uh, bronze medalist in 16. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, her story is significant because um, she was a champion and she was able to compete and then, you know, everything was ripped out from under her. And when you're an African champion or champion in, in the Global South, you get money every time you win or you medal. You get money. And that money puts your brothers and sisters through school. That money builds your mother a house. That money feeds your community. So it's not just a bunch of dough that you get to go, you know, do whatever with. It's, it's, it's their livelihood. It's their um, sense of self. And again, coming from, you know, extreme, uh, um, you know, they love their communities, but it's, you know, run, you know, when they say you run, oh, it's so romantic. You know, she ran 16 kilometers in her bare feet to school. Well, she ran 16 kilometers to bare feet to school because she didn't have shoes. It's not some romantic Zola Bud, you know, thing that, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting Zola Bud down. I'm just saying it, it's, it's, you know, the, we have to put things into perspective. And uh, Dudi Chand, who's in, uh, uh, from India, who is, uh, took on Cass and won. And um, she was uh, humiliated, like Margaret, publicly humiliated, um, accused of being a man, which is, uh, you know, everybody identifies in the, their own way, but when you identify as a woman and you are a woman and then someone calls you a man because of the way you walk, um, and then surreptitiously they test them for testosterone, which became the measure, uh, from, you know, with, within World Athletics. Um, and then she took on Cass and won. And so there was a block of time between 2014 and 2017 when all athletes could compete without um, 
testing um, and the they gave World Athletics, it was called the IAAF at the time, um, a couple of years to prove their findings. Um, Annette Nagesa, who was a Ugandan champion, young. And I have to remember when all these uh, women were, were hit, they were 18, 19 years old. They're kids. Some of them had never been to a gynecologist before. Some of them had never been to a, you know, that kind of, uh, had had that kind of um, um, medical, they, they, met, they hadn't been medicalized in any way. Um, Annette Nagesa, and um, she was, you know, what they, what they call it, identified, like pointed out by World Athletics. Oh, look, there's a fast black girl. Let's test her. Um, and they, they uh, from Annette's um, rec- um, rendition and from her um, story, um, she was um, taken to France uh, and uh, they, they suggested that one way that she could compete again, because all these women want to do is get back on the track. They just want to run again. That's all they want to do is run. Um, so one way you can run, because they, they stopped her just before the 2012 Olympics, is you can have this operation. And they did what's called a gonadectomy, and then they did what's called a clitorendectomy. Um, a gonadectomy is, you know, removes, you know, miniature size gonads. Um, and uh, clitorac- clitorendectomy is um, uh, cosmetic um, and um, you know, e- you know, equaling, uh, you know, sort of a genital mutilation situation. So that was pretty extreme for her. And then what happens is, is when you have that kind of surgery, um, you, you know, and your hormones are stripped from you, um, you have to have what's called aftercare and hormone replacement therapy. Um, and she received nothing. And so for about nine years, she was basically hormoneless until, uh, Peyoshni Mitra connected with her, and um, and uh, now she's uh, she's uh, um, sought asylum in uh, Berlin. That's another thing for people to note. In these countries, when you're othered, if you're outed or othered in any way, a lot of these Af- African countries, and certainly in India too, it was against the law. Um, but in some of these African countries, you can go to jail um, and you can be killed. So when Annette stepped forward to tell her story, um, we were actually trying to get her to Canada and she ended up, um, there was a German film that was done uh, about Annette and about this particular um, subject matter um, just after I think she, I think it aired and they had, and she sought asylum in Berlin. Uh, and then um, Eva, um, who is also from Kenya, who was identified, had, uh, you know, had no idea, again, 19 years old, 20 years old, and lost everything, her community, her church, her family, her livelihood, where she lived. And I, when we met her, she was living in this corrugated tin hut with no running water, no electricity, very dangerous. So again, I mean, these are athletes. This is sport. Like this isn't like, you know, they're not at war. They're athletes, simply competing for the love of sport, and 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 it's their vocation. And the argument that 
under the guise of fair play or to try and level the playing field. There's no such thing as leveling a playing field in sport. There are outstanding athletes that win gold medals. There's great athletes that compete. There's athletes from different countries that maybe don't have the same um, facilities and coaching and sports medicine opportunities that they do say even in any in Europe or in in North America. But you, you don't level the playing field. You don't, you know, uh, cut off, um, you know, um, Michael Phelps feet because he has a size 30 feet and a wingspan of, a, you know, dinosaur. You don't say, oh, Michael, you can't compete because we're going to level the playing field because your anomaly, your gift, your um, uniqueness is, um, you know, is too much for us to handle. But as soon as you push into um, what a woman looks like and all of a sudden we're, we're judged uh, and certainly black and brown women and uh, are, are judged in a very certain way from the learning that we, f- we find out directly from the experts in the film. That was an interview with Phyllis Ellis, who's a filmmaker behind Category Woman. Thank you, Phyllis, for being on the program today. Free City Radio has a weekly show. We air on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Wednesdays at 11, on CJLO 1690 AM, also in Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 p.m., on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 8 a.m. on Tuesdays, CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays, and now on CFUW 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. You can find us through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just look up Free City Radio. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thank you for tuning in.